Welcome to A Well-Cared-For Human, the podcast that tries to convince you that you are 100% normal and an even better-than-okay example of the human species, despite the fact that sometimes we feel like the craziest, most incapable, or worthless creatures on the face of this planet. I'm Corey, an author, a creative, and the host of the show. Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at awellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey, and today we're going to talk about narcissism. It's a popular word these days, or so the internet has led me to believe. And for that reason, we should probably begin with a bit of clarification about what I mean when I say someone is a narcissist. Because the word narcissist does get thrown around a lot. You've probably heard people say, oh, he's such a narcissist, or oh, she's so full of herself, she's so narcissistic. So to be clear, when I say narcissist, I'm referring specifically to narcissistic personality disorder, also known as NPD, or sometimes people will call them narcs or anarch. But I will not be using that word because I come from a family background of ex-cons and drug addicts, so a narc means something else to me. I'll just be calling them narcissistic. Anyway, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is a cluster of psychological traits that are caused by childhood trauma and abuse. And sometimes there's also genetic factors that make a person prone to developing NPD. Only a psychologist, psychiatrist, or a qualified person who understands mental disorders can diagnose narcissistic personality disorder. But you're still going to hear me call my father a narcissist throughout this episode because I'm 99.9% sure that he would be diagnosed with NPD if he ever went to therapy. But I don't think that will ever happen. It's very rare for a narcissist to seek help like that. And besides, I've had both of my therapists tell me that he's a narcissist with classic NPD traits and that many of my issues are obviously the direct result of being parented by someone with a narcissistic personality disorder. And so that's good enough for me. And being raised by a narcissist, loving a narcissist, does have many consequences. Having this kind of person in your life is very dangerous to your emotional well-being. And not to put too fine a point on it, it really screws you up emotionally, mentally, by the time you get out of that relationship, you will be a freaking mess. There's a reason why people who leave these relationship dynamics are called survivors, because you will have survived something by the time you get out of there. Some of the most dangerous aspects of being in a long-term relationship with a narcissist, regardless of whether or not that's a family dynamic or a romantic relationship, is how badly they can warp your view of yourself how badly they can destroy someone's belief and trust in themselves, how badly they can make the other person doubt their reality. Because a lot of denial happens, a lot of gaslighting happens, a lot of mental and emotional manipulation happens when you're dealing with a narcissist. Their constant criticisms and the toxic cycles of love bombing you one minute, then cutting you off the next, is just absolutely detrimental to a person's 
self-esteem, their self-regard. And if you remember my metaphor from episode one about how a well-cared-for human is a person who has a good relationship with the four pillars of their well-being, the relationship between you and your mind and your emotions being a pillar, your relationship with you and your body being another pillar, your relationship with your spirit, your soul being a third pillar, and that last pillar being your relationship to others. Maybe this is all coming back to you now. But one of the reasons why it takes a lot of work to recuperate from a narcissistic relationship is because it doesn't just destroy one pillar. Sure, having a person like that in your life might destroy your relationship to others pillar, for example. That makes sense. But no, narcissists don't just damage your relationships to other people. In reality, a relationship with a narcissist means that you will take sustained, repetitive damage to all of your pillars, every single one of them, over and over and over again, possibly for years. No one is going to be okay after that. And I'm saying this because if you're getting out of a relationship with a narcissist or if you're still in a relationship with a narcissist, because some people do choose not to walk away from their parents, for example, so it's possible that you're still dealing with those repercussions. And if you are, I just wanted to take a moment before we get, <laughs> we get any deeper into this and validate your emotions. You are not crazy. Yes, this relationship is hurting you. No, you are not the problem. You might become a problem to yourself and other people if you're not careful, but we'll get to that in a second. But in short, yes, your feelings are accurate. You are getting an accurate read if this person makes you feel crazy. But what are the qualities of narcissism and what causes it? What causes this personality disorder? Well, the qualities vary because there are different types of narcissists. There's a spectrum. A narcissist could be grandiose and self-serving. They might think really highly of themselves. They'll be arrogant, haughty, disdainful. They'll feel entitled. They will be exploitative and manipulative in their relationships. They likely will not have any empathy. It will be very hard for them to see another person's perspective or to consider another person's feelings. There's also what's called a vanity dimension to narcissism. And this could be presented as an obsession with success, with power, with having the ideal love, ideal relationship, ideal marriage. My father's vanity dimension was one of the first things I was able to identify because of the way he would talk about himself and his businesses and his success. His reputation and how people saw him meant everything to him. And so like most narcissists, he required excessive admiration. He could not get enough admiration praise and compliments from other people. He needed and thrived on that external validation like most narcissists do. And also like narcissists, he could not accept any form of criticism or complaint. Even the smallest remark would provoke an attack. So if you try to voice a concern to a narcissist, you will be ungrateful, you'll be just like everyone else, you're a taker, you never give, you're the problem, why can't you see everything they do for you? It will not occur to the narcissist that the people around them are suffering because they don't have any empathy and they don't know how to validate another person's emotions. A narcissist usually has no idea that other people even need empathy and validation because everything is about them and their wants and how other people never meet their expectations. A narcissist may or may not have some level of self-awareness around these traits. My father said to me before when we were still talking, because we're not talking now, he admitted there's something missing in me. There's something different in me. There's something I don't have, which tells me that he can see that he is lacking in some emotional capacity, 
like most people with narcissistic personality disorder. He will probably never get help, though, or go to therapy. He will probably never see it as a problem that should be addressed. Other people have problems. He doesn't have problems, right? That's very common for a narcissist's point of view. If they do see something, they're most certainly going to blame someone else for it. because they are master projectors. They will accuse you of the things that they themselves are doing. I can't tell you how many times my father tried to convince me that my head was up my ass, that I was out of touch with reality, when he was projecting his denial on me, essentially. He was in deep, deep denial about certain things, and he would project that denial onto other people. I'm sure not just me, considering that he's on like his fifth marriage by now. So I don't think it was just me. So his tendency to project his denial, denial being another deeply rooted narcissistic trait. Most narcissists struggle with denial. I also want to be clear up front that you will not change a narcissist. No amount of self-awareness is going to change this person. It's a personality disorder. This is how their mind is wired. It's how it works. You're not going to rewire their brains. That will not happen. This episode is not an introduction to how to change your narcissist and get them to love you and validate you like you deserve. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry to say, I do really understand how much that hurts because that's all I ever wanted from my own dad was to be loved by him, to be validated by him, to be seen clearly by him. But that's just not going to happen. This episode is only meant to help you work through the pain of the narcissistic relationship that you've encountered and what to do in these situations because your only responsibility in a narcissistic relationship or if you've survived one is to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. You are your responsibility in this situation. But before we get into what you can do for yourself, you might be wondering why are narcissists like this? Why do they develop these traits? What causes this personality disorder? In most cases, they're this way because they have what a therapist would call arrested development, arrested emotional development. As children, we're meant to mature emotionally as we grow up. That's pretty natural. At certain ages, we develop more complex feelings. There are milestones to our emotions. There's a natural progression unless something happens to interrupt that emotional development. And that's exactly what happened to narcissists. For a narcissist, typically there is a traumatic event or maybe many traumatic events, prolonged exposure to trauma. In my father's case, his background was very difficult, so it's hard to say which event was it that broke him. But a narcissist won't mature emotionally beyond a certain age, usually between 8 and 12, because that's where their emotional development was halted by something that happened to them. Even after they become adults, they will still be in that 8 to 12 range emotionally. And it's interesting that that's the range, because before I learned that, that that was the age range, my father often referred to himself as, I'm just a nine-year-old shoeshine boy. And of course, he's doing it in the typical narcissistic way of grandiosity of, I'm amazing, look how far I've come. You know, I'm at my heart, I'm just a nine-year-old shoeshine boy. But you know what? He might very well be (laughs) a nine-year-old boy emotionally. That might have been the moment where his emotional development became arrested and this personality disorder formed. And if a person has this personality disorder as a result of their trauma, what happens is they never fully develop their sense of self. They're too busy reacting to the horrible conditions that they're suffering through. 
So when they grow up, they don't really know who they are, and they build a mask based on whoever they're interacting with. They'll have a different mask for every partner, for every child, for every co-worker. That's why they come across so differently to different people, because they mirror whoever they interact with. They fulfill that person's expectations and mimic their emotions because they're so out of touch with their own. And that was so interesting to me when I learned that, because I kept thinking of all the times when he was like, it's always about you or what you want, or that would be how it would feel to a person if they had no sense of self. They would feel very put upon by other people's basic needs, by their desires, because they don't have any concept of, you know, boundaries or a sense of self that would protect them from that. They're always trying to fulfill that person's expectations, that person's emotions. They're mimicking their emotions. They don't even know what their own emotions are. They think they know who they are, of course. This is especially true if they're the kind of narcissist that has a great deal of grandiosity and vanity going on. They will cling to that perfect image they've constructed for themselves, but that's not who they really are. And they're so uncomfortable with looking at who they really are, especially if what's underneath their mask is shame. And a lot of abused children, what's under the mask is shame, right? I definitely had so much shame to contend with coming out of my childhood, shame that I had to process about not feeling like I was enough, not being good enough, because that's a manifestation of shame, feeling like you're never enough, that you're never good enough. They're so uncomfortable with emotions that the minute they begin to feel something like that, their brain will essentially switch off. Like, it's not that they don't have emotions, it's just that they will turn that emotion off when they begin to feel it because they're so uncomfortable with it, they're so afraid of it. So for that reason, they will come across as very strong, very put together, very in control of themselves and their lives and their situations. But in fact, they're very fragile. They're very sensitive to criticism because they're not entirely sure who they are beneath that mask. It's a very fragile mind under there. It's essentially the mind of a tortured child that never grew up because they weren't allowed to. And they don't know how to connect with other people because of that. They don't know how to feel what other people feel or establish those loving, heartfelt connections. And this conflict between who they really are underneath and this persona that they present to everyone else is often such a source of anguish for people who love a narcissist. It's part of the reason I struggled so hard for so long because my father came home from prison and I'm eight years old and I have this image of him as this amazing person. He's very together. He's very strong. He's very stable. He's the opposite of my mother. He has all the answers. He knows what's what. So it was very easy for me to internalize his gaslighting, not just because he was my dad, and there's that natural trusting openness between parent and child anyway, which is so dangerous in a narcissistic dimension. We tend to believe our parents when we're little, right? And so there's that, but he also convinced me that yes, he was everything good about a parent and my mother was trash, right? That is part of the mask he constructed for himself, that he was good, she was bad, and I was bad if I was like her. And I just believed it and I broke myself apart trying to conform to his expectations, trying to gain his love, trying to feel worthy. But because narcissists have these huge black holes inside themselves, they're never satisfied. They think they love you, but they cannot because they don't love themselves. So they think they love you, but they don't really. They can't really see beyond themselves and the mask that they've made. That's part of the disorder. It also meant that as his daughter, he was never satisfied with me. And I internalized that, that he didn't love me because I was the problem. And it took me forever, and I mean forever. I think I came to this realization like two minutes ago. <laughs> and I bought into his lie. 
And the lie was that he was sane, that he was a mentally well-adjusted person, that he was not at all consumed by his trauma, that he had completely overcome it, and that he was the opposite of my mother, who had been, you know, tortured by the things that happened to her and never rose above them, etc., etc. But the truth, once I started digging, was that he is just like her. He has just as much psychological wounding. He is just as controlled by his unprocessed trauma He is just as destructive to himself and to the people who love him because of his denial, because of his brain's tendency to turn off any emotion as soon as he starts to feel it, which prevents him from having loving connections to other people. And the denial also prevents him from seeing and accepting that or even realizing that it's a problem. But until I realized that I had bought into this lie, until I could start to untangle myself from this dynamic, This naturally toxic dynamic because with a narcissist, you don't want to be a wide open, trusting little mind like you are as a child. But it took me so long before I could regain a clear sense of reality that the reality is it's sad that my father is who he is. And to accept him for who he is means that I had to accept that I had not one but two deeply broken people for parents, and that I will never have a healthy relationship with either. But in accepting this, it also clarified for me what my responsibility was in this situation. Because I was often mad at my mother and my father for not processing their traumas, for not getting the help they needed, because if they had just done their work, I wouldn't have to do my work right? If they could have just pulled themselves together, I could have had a decent childhood, and how dare they? But they didn't, and so that responsibility was passed on to me, and I can't remain mad at them for that if I am not willing to accept the responsibility for myself. My responsibility is to myself in this situation. It sucked that I had two people heaping their unprocessed trauma onto me, but it would suck even more if I heaped that onto other people, onto the people that I care about. So I have to do that work to heal. I have to learn how to protect myself to be a loving, open, compassionate person. So if you're dealing with a narcissist, even just a person with these traits, because they might just be a toxic person. They might not have a full-blown personality disorder. So if you're dealing with someone like that, a toxic person or someone with NPD, what do you need to do to take care of yourself? Well, first of all, you need to decide if you're going to maintain the relationship or go no contact. These are the two paths you have when dealing with a narcissist or a toxic person. I cannot tell you which path is right for you. You have to decide what's best for you. It would be easy for me to say that if you have a narcissist in your life, go no contact. Because a narcissist will always put themselves first, their emotions, their needs, their wants. They will always care more about what other people think of them, how they appear. It will always be them who matters, not you. You will never gain the emotional support or validation or empathy that you deserve from a loving relationship. So I could say, yeah, no contact because of all those reasons, but I would be doing so with the full knowledge of how incredibly hard it is to walk away from a narcissist that you love. It was so hard for me to walk away from my dad. It felt impossible because I had this deep, desperate desire in me. I wanted him to love me. I didn't care if it was tearing me apart and destroying me, if I could just hold on and stay long enough for him to love me. And I almost did. I almost just kept going along with it. But the last straw for me was when he found out my mom was murdered, and then he essentially told me she deserved it. And I even kept that text, and I have to look at it again and again 
Every time I get the urge to contact him, every time I want to reach out and tell him that I love him and miss him, I look at this text and I'm like, yeah, no, this is why we decided no contact. Here is a text message where he doesn't say, oh my God, I'm so sorry your mother was murdered. Maybe you're really having a hard time right now. Anything I can do for you, which a normal empathetic person would say, so who am I to tell you when it's time to walk away from somebody? I can't tell you that, but I can give you some ideas of what you'll be dealing with and some things to consider so that you can make your own decision. So first of all, if you're in a romantic relationship with a narcissist, you'll certainly be in an open relationship whether you agree to it or not. Because narcissists require constant external validation from other people, they will always be cheating on you. Also because they cannot accept responsibility for what they do, they will deny that they have been cheating on you to the ends of the earth. It does not matter if you show them texts or pictures or photographic evidence, videos, they will still deny that they were ever there. They'll tell you it was doctored, that it was made up, that it's not real. And for the same reason, it will be unrealistic to expect that when they hurt you that they will ever issue a sincere apology or that they will ever correct their behavior in any way. They do not see, a narcissist does not see their actions as wrong. They will always have a justification for why they did what they did. So they won't correct their behavior, they won't make amends for it, and if you stick around and come back to them, your coming back will always be viewed as permission to continue that behavior. Another thing to think about is narcissists have a tendency to provoke people. They like to start fights. They love having control over other people, over manipulating them. They like that rush of feeling like they're in charge. So they will try to get a rise out of you. They will try to isolate you from your family and friends. And this will all have negative effects on your mental health and your relationship to other people, of course. And if you do realize what's happening and you do decide that you want to leave them, they're going to try to manipulate you to stay. And they will promise you everything in the moon so that you don't leave them if you try to leave because narcissists hate to be alone. They cannot stand to be by themselves because remember, they need someone else around so they know what mask to wear. Their sense of self is based on that mirroring of other people. So when they're by themselves, they just, the emotions start to creep in. Those emotions that they've been hiding, that they've been tucking away, that they keep turning off, they keep bottling up, which becomes explosive rage later one thing you'll notice is an emotion that a narcissist is very comfortable with is explosive rage, and that's because they have so much repressed emotion that that's really all they can express is the explosive rage later. So if you do need to leave, it would be best that you do it when they're not around so they can't manipulate you into staying. And also realize that sometimes they will discard someone. That's the term for it, discard. Essentially pushing you away or abandoning you in order to get validation. It's almost like a reverse UNO. <laughs> where they, they push you away so that you will crawl back and they will feel validated about themselves. And if you have children with a narcissist, they will use your children to manipulate and control you because they thrive on manipulation and control and they are incredibly vengeful, vindictive. Um, I've told you all the things my father has said about my mother how much he hated her. So no doubt they will be furious that you had the gall to leave them or offend them in any way. And I'm sure you can see how all of this is incredibly destructive to a person's mental and emotional well-being, which is why I recommend no contact if you survive a romantic relationship with a narcissist. Obviously, the best case scenario is to leave when they're not there and then just never look back. Contact them for no reason whatsoever, ever again, no matter what they try. With parents, it's a little harder for me to say go no contact because they're your parents. I get it. I really do get it. 
And you pick your partners, but you can't pick your parents. And there's this biological programming there that makes you want to earn their love, their validation, their approval. You have to tell them explicitly what behaviors you will and will not accept. And if they violate those boundaries, what the consequences will be for violating that boundary. If you need help with setting boundaries, you can revisit episode 18 where I talk about boundaries. And also there are plenty of resources online at the library, wherever your books are sold, about best practices and setting boundaries. But to get you started, what you need to know about setting boundaries is that there should be a clear idea of what things hurt you. For example, my father was very critical of my body. If I had wanted to set a boundary around that, I would have had to tell him explicitly, do not talk about my body. You are not to mention anything about my hair, the way I walk, my teeth, my don't say anything about my body because when you do, it hurts my feelings and I don't want you to do that. And of course, he liked to bash my mom a lot, which is also very hurtful. So I would have to say, you're not allowed to speak to me about my mother. It hurts me when you mention her, so just don't. And if you keep referring to her, if you keep trying to talk about her, I'm not going to speak to you. I will end the conversation and just talk to you some other time. So just be clear about what you expect them to do and what the consequence will be if they do not listen to you. And be prepared to follow through with whatever you told them you were going to do if they violate your boundaries. So maybe think about what you threaten them with. Maybe don't go no contact right at the beginning if you know you're not going to be able to stick to no contact just be like i will end the conversation then or i will not talk to you for two weeks or whatever but just be very clear what the repercussion will be and stick to it otherwise it will only reinforce their belief that your words and feelings don't matter and they can do whatever they want to do you will also want to look at your own behaviors and patterns to see if you have any undeveloped narcissism. If you had a narcissistic parent and you were exposed to a narcissist during your own developmental phases, it's very possible that you're going to have what's referred to as narcissistic wounding. When an emotionally arrested person is in charge of another person's development, there will be side effects. You're going to grow up wonky. And it's not just the low self-esteem and the emotional and mental damage and devastation that having a toxic parent is going to cause. You're going to have to work to clean all that up too. It's going to be what happens because they never fully developed emotionally. And so they're going to interrupt your own development as a sort of sabotage. Either consciously or unconsciously, they're going to sabotage your own development. And they're going to model these bad narcissistic behaviors for you. It doesn't mean that you're a narcissist. It just means that you have some of these aspects of yourself that are going to need to be addressed. Because it's not a full-blown personality disorder. It's more like a residue or a poison, however you want to see it. And to get rid of this residue, to get rid of this poison, you might want to consider doing something like cognitive behavioral therapy work or could do shadow work, which I talked about in episode 20, to see if you've got some of these destructive patterns that need to be worked out. Maybe you have relationship cycles that are problematic. Maybe you have bad habits that are problematic. All of that as the result of these undeveloped narcissistic traits. You can also do what I did, which is work on these behaviors in, in therapy, but also reading books about narcissism to better understand what's going on there, why you think what you think, why you do what you do. And of course, I'll put a couple of my favorites in the show notes so you can find them there. But essentially, in order to heal my own narcissistic wounding, I began by building more awareness of the effects that my father's narcissism had on me. Then I could work to reduce my own self-absorption 
my own bad behaviors, my own compulsions, my own self-defeating and toxic behaviors. One of the channels I appreciate is Lee Hammocks. He's on YouTube, and I think he does TikToks too under the handle Mental Healness, M-E-N-T-A-L-H-E-A-L-N-E-S-S, Mental Healness. But he's been a wonderful resource for me as to breaking down what a narcissist thinks and feels in certain moments. He makes videos to raise awareness about NPD and to encourage more narcissists to get into therapy and to also validate their victims. So if you want to check out his work, I highly recommend it. And he was the one who helped me to understand why no contact is so important and how reaching out to a narcissist will always be seen as permission to continue their bad behavior. Okay, so I could talk about narcissism all day, but this is getting really long, so let's stop here. And again, this is another one of those topics that you could really deep dive into, so please go learn more on your own. Please educate yourself. I hope you found something of value in today's episode, and I want to thank you so much for listening, and of course, I will be back next week. But until then, please take good care of you. This episode of A Well-Cared-For Human was written and produced by me, Corey Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.